Hi, my name is Ali Vignon, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Welcome in to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, Prognosticators podcast, Presidential podcast, PD Light podcast, Pampers podcast, Propcast, Knubel cast, Pronger cast, the Poolin cast, the Hextall cast. That one came up uh, last week. Formerly have uh, had on Bob Clark, Paul Holmgren, Danny Briere. All of these episodes are available in the archives. And I bring this up, Anthony, because... There's nothing happening in the hockey world, which we're going to talk about, but there's nothing going on. So for people who are hockey deprived, for those who might have found our show recently or weren't around for the entire ride, there's so many episodes in the archives to go back and to get some real insight and to kind of fill up your love. Find those days that the Flyers would have been playing or that they might have played when you start seeing like your little Facebook memories or your Twitter memories popping up from a year ago and you see the Flyers are playing. Go back and listen to another episode of Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast with some of the best guests in the world. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad on Twitter and Instagram. And over there is Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter and the Instagram at Ant San Philly. Anthony, how are you? You know, Russ, I was a little disappointed because like our last show we recorded um, two weeks ago, you opened in Spanish. I did. For no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, so Mexican, I thought that oh, it was uh, Mexican Revolution Day. Oh, Friday. is that what it was? Okay, all right. That's what it was. Well, yeah. I thought in honor of Michael Raffle going to play, being loaned to a team to play in Austria, that maybe you would have trotted out the German to start the show today. Nah, not a big enough deal. No offense. <laughs> no offense, of course, to Michael Raffle, who is a uh, probably would be a friend of the program. Maybe yeah, that'll but, be a thing this year. Maybe we'll talk to Michael Raffle. I think, but but I will tell you that that uh, Michael Raffle playing in Austria. Well, you say it's not a big deal, and it's really not. It, <laughs> it is no, it's it really isn't. Um, but what it does do is it does give us an indicator onto something we are going to talk about today. Oh, I know what this is. Which is there's no way in hell the NHL is starting January first. So I have two sources inside the league who have said that the January 1st was never the plan. That the actual start date is going to be March 20th. March, I'm just kidding. None of that's real. So, <laughs> yeah. So January 1st, which we've said for, what, a month now? A month and a half? Two months? Was never going to be a realistic target. Now, it is fair to question, given the, the fact that, like, the idea that we've kind of bantered back and forth about for, I guess, about a month now. That might actually be up to five weeks or whatever of the modified hubs, the realigning of divisions, the Canadian only division, which by the way has traction now, surprise. Um, that it's a little bit strange in a sense that the NBA is ramping up for the 22nd training camp start today. The 22nd of December is going to be the start of their season. They've got a slate of national games ready to go leading into Christmas and Christmas day. And yet the NHL who I think did as good of a job, if not better in some ways than the NBA did with their, the two city bubble setup, seems to be behind the ball on this one. At least that's the way that that that's at least the way that some in the national media have portrayed this on various networks and across multiple social media channels. And you, to that you say, 
Well, I don't think that they're necessarily behind the ball, but I think what they are is they are showing their, once again, we have a situation like we had in Major League Baseball where billionaires are getting greedy. And, and that's really what it is. Um, and these owners uh, are trying to, even though they you know, negotiated in good faith with the players months ago, are now trying to change that so that they can save money. And it's, it's, it's BS. It's total BS. And the reason it's total BS is because if there is one thing that we are certain as a society that will return to its normal state once the pandemic ends, whenever that may be at some point in 2021, we, we assume, um, but uh, whenever that ends, the one thing that will immediately return to what it was is sports. Right. Once once they say you're allowed to have fans in the stands, you know, full houses again, those houses will be full again. Like people are not going to say, yeah, now I'm going to stay away. I mean, you you might get a few here and there. But, you know, if a 20,000 seat building is allowed to have 20,000 people in it, you're going to get 19. Right. I mean, I mean, there's no question about it. I think it's that's what's going to happen. People will go back to sports. So it's not like, you know, oh, will they go to this restaurant or will the like, you know, will this business survive? Sports is going to survive. Okay. So all these billionaires have to do, and while yes, we I understand they're losing money in the short term, they have a structure in place where they will automatically make it back in the long term. So this ends up becoming greed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it was interesting, and it's, it's interesting that we're recording today because yesterday, Gary Bettman spoke for the first time publicly since the Stanley Cup final, okay? And he said that, you know, January 1st is a work in progress, and it's influenced largely by, you know, what they're hearing from their medical experts. Fine. But he refused to move off that target date, which is asinine. Yep. It is December 3rd. We don't have a schedule. We don't have any notion of when this league would start. There's no concept of training camp or preseason. COVID is, you know, in its second wave, I guess. And, you know, we're seeing numbers, you know, through the roof on infections uh, all across the country. I mean, there's no way to do this without setting up bubbles, um, even if they're like short-term bubbles, like we discussed on the previous show, whether, you know, it's, you know, six or seven teams getting together for, uh, you know, 10 days and then play a handful of games and then leave kind of thing. Even that, it takes some some coordination to get that up and running. But the biggest problem of the whole thing is, is that the league, and this is, when I say the league, this is the owners. So that's the commissioner and the owners have requested that the players defer more money for the upcoming season. And, and that's a problem because this was, there was a collective bargaining agreement uh, extension, six years, that was unanimously ratified by the owners in July when we were already in the pandemic. It's not like it was a pre-pandemic agreement. They all ratified this in July, okay? They all knew what the deal was going to be, and now they're going back to the players and say, yeah, we need you to defer more money. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's That's not negotiating in good faith, okay? That's just, all right, we'll appease you now, but we're going to come back and hit you with more later. All right. And that's a problem. All right. So the way the, what was negotiated, okay, um, is, and, and granted, they have not asked to, to amend the amount of money 
that is changing hands between the league and its players. Um, uh, but the terms uh, were that the players are due 72% of their salaries for the upcoming season with 20% coming off the top to the owners to repay the shortfall from last year. Okay. Uh, that will be followed by an 8% deferral that the owners will pay over three seasons. Okay. So the players are saying, yeah, yeah we'll, you'll give us that money. Eventually we know you're going to pay it. We're willing to take us a, a short hit in the short term to make sure that you can get it back over future years. Okay. That's fine. All right. But now they come back to them and say, we want you to defer an additional 16% in salary. No, you can't do that. The players already are, they already cut their salaries by 28%, allowing you to take 20% off of that to repay for the time that was lost with no, no attendance between March and, and, and uh, the end of the season. Okay. And then they're allowing you to pay 8% of their salaries three years from now over the course of the next three years. And that was all agreed. Okay, this is fine. And then three months later or four months later, you come back and say, yeah, yeah, we need another 16% of your money. Go pound sand, owners. You're billionaires. This is what you do. And you're going to make this money back hand over fist over the course of the next five years. Everything will be fine long term for you. These, there's no guarantee that these players play beyond this season, right? They're, they're the ones who put their, their careers at risk every time they go on the ice. And you can't, you can't ask for more than what they've already, they've given up 28% already of their salary for this year. And now they're asking for an additional 16. It's, it's bad. It's really bad. The NHL, it's not that they're behind, not that they're behind the eight ball here. They're just getting too greedy. And it sounds a lot like what we saw last summer between major league baseball owners and their players. Anthony, this is the problem when you have the billionaire class that decides that they're going to continue. Take advantage of the millionaire class on the backs of those who make mere tens of thousands of dollars. So this is the problem, right? I'm going to play devil's advocate. Let me defend the owners. <laughs> Go ahead. With, without the, <laughs> I, I know you don't believe this. I think you're just going to do this just to get my goat. Without the owners, you wouldn't have teams. Oh, so if, yes. you, if you enjoy having hockey in Philadelphia, shut your mouth and enjoy the hockey. <laughs> If you have to lose it out on a season, lose out on your season. You like hockey and you live in Calgary, shut your mouth. Enjoy the hockey when you get it. You will take what the owners give you. Okay? Let's be real. <laughs> I can't. I can't. So here's the, here's the biggest issue. The optics. Optics, optics, optics. Mm -hmm. The NHL did a really good job during the bubble, at least in terms of preventing any spread of of the virus they did they, it in two cities they did which, a great job which Let's they be honest they, Russ, they did they was, did it was an, the it an was exceptional the, job not just exceptional it was the blueprint for how every other sport should should have been doing things and as a matter of fact is probably the blueprint that the nfl is going to have to follow for its playoffs in order to guarantee that we have a super bowl in February. I mean, it's really, that's what we're looking at. And, and they're, you know, they had the best system of any, of any sport. Let's be honest about it. So part of this is optics and part of this is just general appeal, general um, acknowledgement by the media to spread the message. So despite the fact that the NHL did 
arguably the best job because they did it in multiple cities. Sure, the NBA and the MLS bubble were great because they were both in Orlando. Fine, but that was just Orlando, right? The what is that? Was that was that the start of our show? That sounded that sounded I to, like I went to look up something on my phone and I accidentally hit play on the snow the goalie. Thing. Oh, I thought you were gonna like have this behind me, like I was supposed to give an impassioned. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. Let me tell you. No, so anyway, um, the NHL did this great job during the bubble, right? But it was it was kind of acknowledged in the moment, but in the aftermath, when the national media talks about sports that did a great job with bubbles, it's the NBA. It's only the NBA. Okay. That's the one that everybody points to. They don't really give hockey that much credit for it. Because, quite frankly, a lot of the national media personalities aren't even well-versed enough in what the NHL did. It's silly, and to your point, it really should end up being the blueprint for what the NFL ends up doing in the postseason, and then maybe then they'll get the credit they need. But So you, you don't necessarily have as much of the wide stream or the, the mainstream acceptance or acknowledgement of what you accomplished. So the good optics that you had in that moment were acknowledged in the moment but not after the fact, for the most part. That's an issue because now – the way that this reads to those who care, which not everyone does, is that this CBA that was that was uh, ratified by both the NHLPA and the Board of Governors during the pandemic, as you pointed out, that was a good moment of labor peace, which stood in stark contrast to the mess that Major League Baseball was going through. So it was acknowledged in the moment by the national media, not by every pundit, but by national media as a whole, has not gotten much place since doesn't need to labor peace isn't something that networks typically talk about. It doesn't get the, the, the needle moving, but what does look bad and what would be exceptionally or exponentially worse for the league is that despite there being no juice at the moment for hockey on the national front, the first thing that might pop up now isn't here's the expected date and the start of training camp and some dates that we can roll out and have at least as a tertiary story on SportsCenter. No, the thing that's going to come up now, the only thing that's going to get you mentioned, get your league mentioned at this point, is labor strife because the billionaire owners are deciding to try to go back on what they agreed to in the midst of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it's a big deal because even if it doesn't become a lead story or a secondary story or even a tertiary story as I, as I threw out, you know what kind of people will pick it up? The people who are concerned about labor. Andrew Yang could be a guy who ends up becoming the labor secretary for this country. He's a guy who already has his eyes on the WWE for their uh, labeling of their employees, quote unquote, as independent contractors, right? Even though they want to control everything outside of what those people do outside of the, uh, the ring. The last thing you want to do right now is get any kind of negative spotlight on your league. And when people have finally kind of found this escape, and granted it is a flawed escape in trying to get back to some kind of normalcy watching sport, when you now tell a group of people, you know what, on second thought, we executed all these things really well, but now we're not happy about how much money we're losing out on and we expect these players to take less. And you know what, you might get locked out. We just might not have a season. While those fans are now seeing the NBA getting geared up, you've now not only lost yourself versus like the sport that you're typically compared to or you run a, a concurrent ca calendar with,
but you also start to lose fans of the sport who are now going to be bitter because nobody wants to sit through this garbage. Nobody wants to sit through labor strife. The way that this wave is working, the fact that multiple states are telling people to stay home, don't spend Thanksgiving with your family, don't spend Christmas with your family, don't spend New Year's with your family. The last thing that anybody wants is their typical escape from that reality, sports, now being a thing that brings further drama into their lives. So the NHL is botching this. And if Gary Bettman were smart, I do think he's a smart guy. If he were intelligent, he would say to these owners, no, this can't work. And I don't mean to sound like you, but if Ed Snyder were alive, I find it almost inconceivable that as a leading voice among the owners, he wouldn't tell them to pull their heads out of their asses. Because this one, you do not win. Nobody, no one wins if there is not a hockey season. And by the way, the TV contract that we've all been talking about for a while, about expiring at the end of the season, good luck trying to get ESPN in on wanting the rights to your league when there's nothing to pull from from a previous season. And the season before that, you saw the drop in ratings. That happened across all sports, by the way, NBA, MLS, NHL, during the bubble. You don't want to try to go into a contract negotiation, a TV contract negotiation, from that much of a disadvantaged position. The, the owners need to get together. This does not work. It doesn't work for them. It doesn't work for the players. It doesn't work for the fans. Yeah, and the only thing I'll say about the Snyder thing, and you're, you're not completely wrong there because um, he would tell them to get their head out of their ass, but he also told them to get their head out of their ass uh, when they locked out um, in not, both in uh, 95 and 2005, and both times um, they didn't listen. <laughs> Although he wasn't alone, um, sure. it was a small. It was the small market teams that that you know really pushed for that and got Bettman to you know close out the league and um, and of course they all had a united front. They had to come out publicly and say they supported it. But I mean, behind the scenes, there was no doubt that you know Snyder was not happy about either instance. But uh, even even the biggest voices sometimes don't don't ring true. Um, if it all takes is, you know, a third of the owners to sit there and say, yeah, no, we, this is what we want. And then that's it because you gotta, you know, you need a super majority, uh, to kind of get things passed, um, in the NHL. And if, if a third of the owners want to sit there and say, we need, we need more money, we need more money. Well, guess what? They're going to get it. And that's, that's what they do. That's, you that's know, how I, they handle it. I hate to be this guy, but. To the small market owners who cry poor, too bad. No one feels bad for you. Your fellow owners don't feel bad for you. The players who you make exponentially more money than don't feel bad for you. The fans who will make a mere percentage, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what your net worth is don't feel bad for you. If you can't field a competitive team and you can't survive in this market, then shut it down or sell your team. There are people who make far less money who have had to shut down their small businesses throughout this pandemic and aren't begging and pleading and whining to their peers for some kind of further assistance. If you lost your business, you lost your business. You're upset about it, and you should be, because for those people, there should be something in place to help them out. There should be something to prevent them from going out of business. But for a billionaire owner or a hundreds of millions millionaire, hundred of millionaire owner, 
Nobody feels bad for you. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Get it together, Sparky. <laughs> All right. So hockey, we don't know when it'll be back. We've said for a while now that it seems like March might be more realistic. Camps in February and maybe a start in March. But that would also mess with the calendar. I, I do wonder. Well, the one thing I have to say this about the calendar. The one thing that's absolute 100% cannot be negotiated. They had the season has to end. And this means the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. Has to end before the Olympics. That's what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah. Has to. The NBC has put that. I mean, you know, they have the TV contract uh, with the NHL and they basically told the league we're not losing Olympics. Yeah. So you got to be done before the Olympics. Yep. So, so there you go. So it's got to be done. It's got to wrap up by the second week in July, no matter what. It's going to be hard. It's going to be an abbreviated season. Maybe you get 35, 40 games in. It's not going to be the NBA is getting 72 of 82 in. You know, kudos to them. In theory, they're getting 72 to 82 in, assuming that there aren't widespread spreads of the virus. Yeah, I which, think that the league, which the I think league, remains to be seen. The league but, can do a 48 game season because they've done it starting in January and ending in April before and getting the season over in June. I mean, so they've done it. So you could still do a 48 game season, um, even if you start later. You know, because you have that little extra buffer of a few weeks, right? So you can start if you were to start, say February. Let's say February first, just out yeah. of for kicks. You could get, do a forty-eight game season without issue. Um, it's when you start getting into late February, early March, where you say that's that's no longer tenable. Yeah. Um, so at that point, you're probably looking at less games. But if you want to do 48 games, it's still legit. It's still a legit possibility. Now, if they somehow can get this turned around here and, and get the season up and running in a month, you can probably get closer to 60 games if you really wanted to. Um, but again, I, I don't see it. It seems inconceivable that they're going to I don't see it. I don't see how it happens at this point. I agree. All right, where do you want to go next? Well, I mean, the only other thing that's, you know, um, there's nothing really to go next as far as the, the team. I mean, we mentioned Raffles playing in Austria. Um, that was the indicator to me when they made that announcement last week that this that January 1st wasn't going to happen because Chuck Fletcher is not a dumb man, right? He's not going to let one of his guaranteed NHL players, and there's no doubt about it, Michael Raffle is a guaranteed roster spot. Uh, they're not. He's not going to let one of his guaranteed NHL players play hockey in another country if the season's opening in a month. It's just he's just not going to let it happen. So he has to know that there's there is more time here, and that getting Michael Raffle, however many games he gets for his Austrian team, is not a bad deal because it gets him into game shape. So. If you were going to weigh the pros and cons, if you're Chuck Fletcher, do you start to think about loaning guys out? Like if, if the idea here is that the league might not start training camp until February, does it make sense for you to try to loan out some of your guaranteed NHL players so that they have their legs ready when the season starts up? Or do you even extend it a little bit further to some of those prospects that you were hoping to get a a better eye on and to have, you know, getting themselves ready for, uh, being in a more advantageous position to set themselves up for really competing for a roster spot when training camps open. Like, could we see Morgan Frost? Could we see Igerson Mula? Could we see those guys going abroad in the next month in an effort to try to get them ready to be competitive 
and try to make a spot out of Cam. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not ridiculous uh, to suggest that. I mean, it happened with every other lockout yeah. um, that occurred. Uh, players went and played in Europe. Uh, or at the time, I mean, we had the American League. Some players could play in the American League. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so I don't think that that's, that's an absurd notion. I think that there are two parts to it, though, Russ. One is you have to know that you're not going to be able to get into a training camp for at least six weeks, mm-hmm. um, in which case then this is a good idea. And, and it has to happen soon. Like, I don't think you're you're waiting until after the holidays to make that decision. I would think that this is something that would have to come up here in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, I don't think you want big money players doing that. Um, they were doing it during the lockouts because they were locked out. Okay, they were that was a different it was a different scenario there. They were not allowed to be in their rinks practicing or anything like that. You can skate at skate zone right now if you're a flyer, if you're a flyer player, some guys over there. Okay, so that's so the big money guys, you're probably not going to agree to let them go to loan them out because you have too much of a financial impact with them. Right. So you're not going to see a Giroux or a Voracek or a JVR, or any of those guys go play somewhere else right now. Um, but, but guys that are more affordable and, and lesser money, you know, th- that you can kind of work with. Absolutely. Okay. Let me go to something that uh, I threw out to the people because I, I kind of want to gauge your thought on this because you're not a very emotional thinker. You're more of a pragmatist, I guess. So, I threw out on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook so that we could, you know, reach out to all of the listeners of Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. Of course, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie, and then Instagram and Twitter at Snow the Goalie. We threw out the idea, we threw out the question to the people about, uh, first, if you had the opportunity to extend one Flyers player an additional season, who would it have been? Anthony, if I throw that out to you right now, and it can't be like, oh, I'm going to bring Bobby Clark to the 2010 team. It mean, has to be an extension of their tenure with the Flyers into the following season. Let me give you some ideas of, of people that, that uh, people put out. Seahawk38 uh, on Instagram said Braden Shen. I Carasso, or El Carasso said Eric Lindros. Yeah, but they Our, traded, they traded Lindros. Uh, yeah, he I know. Under contract. I know. Our former producer, Lennox, says Peter Forsberg. DK Cookie 37 says Yarmir Yager. JJ Mullen on Instagram says Danny Briere. Eric Did It on uh, Instagram says Yager. I myself, if you had if you uh if you ask me, I would say another year of Yager, I think would have made a big difference. Well, that would so they. What I can tell you is, is that they were interested in bringing Yager back, and they were just asking him to wait um, because they wanted to see what the what the um, cap situation was at that point. And Yager didn't want to wait, so that's why it ended up being that Yager went and signed with Dallas. Um, I don't know. I mean, Yager. The only thing with Yager is, is that. That team, I'm, I'm not even certain, was Stanley Cup ready. Uh, Forsberg, so they traded Forsberg, right? But the reason that they traded Forsberg is because he was at the end of his contract. Yeah. So 
if you were able to extend him a year, maybe you're not trading Peter Forsberg, right? Yep. Um, in that instance, you have Peter Forsberg for the 07-08 season uh, when they are go- reaching the Eastern Conference final um, and lose to Pittsburgh. Now, there's a caveat with that. If Peter Forsberg's healthy, uh, yeah, I take Peter Forsberg. But he ended up playing nine games for the Colorado Avalanche in 2007-2008. Scored 14 points in those nine games. Uh, But he only played nine games because he had the foot issue. So if we can, if we can, if we're able to extend the player and prevent injury, then I think it's a no-brainer. I think Forsberg gives them a shot against the Penguins in 07-08. But... Yeah, wow. I would really have to go back. All right, let me give you some more. Because I'll I'll tell you why, and you can give me more in a second, but the one thing about the Flyers is they don't usually let guys go, and then that player then goes to, you know, let them go without signing them, and then that player goes on to be a good player elsewhere. There have been players that have been traded – that were bad trades that have been good players elsewhere. But usually you don't see a guy who you say, well, if we would have just signed him, he would have been good. And and we let him go. Like the flyers don't usually do that. That's the one thing the flyers are good at, but go ahead. Uh, Over on Facebook, Michael Moreno said, Wayne Simmons had to go, but part of me wishes that we brought him back um, as a, as a, as a, that's that's emotional as as a fourth liner. But well, I mean, it was, it was offered up as, as being emotional. Um, Mr. At Mr. Dita 14 over on Twitter says Yager. Justin Kent checks in on Twitter, says, I'm torn. Scotty Upshaw was a fun flyer, uh, but he was at least traded, or but he was traded for uh, Carcillo. Um, Robert Maturo says, Justin Williams for one more season. So the interesting thing is Williams, and if you remember when I did the uh, the one-on-one with Hitch um, earlier in the, during the pandemic, which you had recommended people go back and listen to those interviews, um, the one thing he said is that he wishes you know, his one regret as far as young players was not really having Justin Williams mm-hmm. because if, and they traded Justin Williams for a need, they needed a defenseman and they got Danny Markov and Markov was good for them in, in, in the time that he was here, which Sean um, Moore points out on Twitter as well. said got us Markov who was essential to the Oh four run. Yeah, it was, it was, it ended up in the, in the moment ended up being a good trade for that team. But long term, Justin Williams. If you keep, if you're able to hang on to Justin Williams, it's a whole different. You got a whole different organization coming out of that lockout. You know, starting 0506. I mean, when you think about it, you got Justin Williams coming out of you know in, in the on that 0506 team. Um, geez, another one there is, is because of the again because of the salary cap situation. Um, they had to get rid of Ronick because uh, they brought because they brought in Forsberg. They couldn't keep both. Um, so if you know, could you could you extend Ronick and have Ronick and Forsberg on that same team together? That would you know, that might make a difference. I mean, the big problem with that team was they made the wrong, they went the wrong direction with Hatcher and Rathji yeah. on defense, right? I mean, so that was that was the the negative. But um, yeah, it's it's really hard to think because you know when you when you really think back prior to that, prior to the o four o five lockout. There was no salary cap. Yep. So the Flyers would bring back guys pr- prior to that that they felt could help the team. And the ones that they let go 
they didn't really amount to much after they left, right? Free agency in free agency. Yeah. So it's really it's really a question that you got to think since the 0506 lockout. And I think we've I think we've nailed the guys that are really, you know, that you would think about. I mean, Yager, uh, Forsberg. I enjoyed Yager Williams. so much. Yeah, those are yeah. those are probably the three. And I and and long term, I would say long term, it would probably be Justin Williams because I would, I would think that you would have hoped that you would have recognized the talent there and held yeah. on to him, right? I mean, and that's so I would probably have said, my answer would be Justin Williams. Ben Molesky uh, said definitely should have kept David Schlemko instead of <laughs> buying him out in June of 2019 and having his dead cap on the books. So that's that's your uh, well off the uh, the beaten path answer to that that's, one. That's great. All right. Um, I also did throw out another question because I, I know that sometimes hate is a good thing to, uh, to drive people to, uh, to respond to things. So I also threw out uh, over on Instagram and on Facebook and Twitter, who's your least favorite flyer of all time? Anthony, I want you to take a guess really quick before I, I jump into this. Who do you think people listed as their least favorite flyer of all time? Give me like two or three names you think. The least favorite flyer. I mean, God, that's so hard. Um, uh, I mean, there's, there's a, so there, and I say it's hard because to me, there's a lot that it could be. I, I would have to say, because I remember it being such negative feedback when it happened. This was during, you know, my early years covering the team. Um, and it was pre social media, I believe. I'm going to look it up to see if it was, but I pretty think it was pre-social media was when they brought in and we didn't understand why they brought in Billy Tibbetts. Um, yeah, he came up. Okay. I, th- that had to be, I mean, nobody wanted it. The fans were just livid because the guy was just a bad, bad dude. Yeah. That was a one Oh two. Just a bad guy, a bad human being. Wow. Um, and, Do you want well, to elaborate on that a little? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's well documented. I mean, you know, he had sexual assault, uh, you know, charges against him. I mean, he was just a bad dude. Uh, although I do have a funny story. <laughs> I mean, Billy Tibbetts is a funny name. Well, so they you just well, wait. Billy Tibbetts listens to the show. He's going to come to our homes. And so they make a, a deal for Billy Tibbetts. And it's just a fun name. <laughs> and and he what's your tra- name? Billy Tibbet. So it was like a trade deadline deal and they traded Kent Manderville, who was just like a fourth line center, but at least he was a, it was a penalty killer, like good face off guy. Like he was at least a useful player for Billy Tibbets, whose reputation preceded him uh, was a, he was a fighter. He was an agitator. He was dirty. Um, and of course he had all the off ice issues, right? So they trade for him. Now, Tibbetts ends up playing, I think, nine games total for the Flyers, and that's it. So there's one point, and of course now he has a um, uh, the sexual assault allegations, right? Um, and so there's one game where you're in the we're, we're sitting in the, up in the press box at Wells Fargo. Now it was the whatever it was, Core States or First Union at that point. I'm not sure. Um, and it's only my second year uh, with the team or covering the team, and one of the I'm not going to name the the writers because I don't want to identify anybody here because it's kind of but I'm going to say it because it's a podcast we can get away with it. One of the writers we they hand out the the sheets with the opening lineups, and one of the beat guys turns to another beat guy and says, "So where's the rapist?" 
Billy Tibbetts happens to be sitting right next to all of it. This was back when the healthy scratches sat next to the beat guys. So he hears this and turns his head and says, what? And like looks at the guy and says, what? what? And one of the other beat writers saves his life by saying, oh, we're talking about the therapist. We're looking for, the, we're looking for a therapist. We're talking about the therapist. And he goes, oh, okay. That's how dumb Billy Tibbetts was, okay? But that actually occurred where one writer was trying to make a joke about Billy Tibbetts, and Billy Tibbetts overheard it but didn't quite get it. And another writer had the presence of mind <laughs> to say therapist instead of the rapist and got out and got out of a very what could have been a very potentially ugly situation. Well, I, I'm just like, so there you go. Well, <laughs> like, how do you how, just how? How? Hold on. I have I have. Some... Mr. Connery, why don't you pick? <laughs> It looks like this is my lucky day. I'll take the rapists for 200. <laughs> That's therapist. <laughs> yes. Yes. Rest in peace, John Connery and Alex Trebek. Yes, of course. So, um, I just wanted to give you an update on a uh, good old Billy, Billy Tibbetts. Uh, back in 2019, this is a, uh, head, a headline. Tibbetts gets another year in jail after drug arrest. He's not, having a, he's not having a good time. Yeah. No. No, but keep in mind now that and I wanted to make mention, and it's funny that you you brought up the uh, the Celebrity Jeopardy uh, Saturday Night Live skit, which is perhaps a, I put it top three all time um, recurring skits or skits on Saturday Night Live. Uh, that occurred after the first Celebrity Jeopardy occurred after this incident took place in the press box at Wells Fargo. So <laughs> once it happened, we were cracking up because oh, it, was, be, mm-hmm. it was the same situation yeah. that took place with the other two writers. And we just joked about it forever that they actually stole the, <laughs> the joke from, uh, from our incident in the press box. So, well, here are some things that, uh, that he got in trouble for. Uh, he pleaded guilty on September 20th of 2019 to two counts of criminal harassment against police chief Michael Stewart and his sister on one count of violating a harassment prevention order, intimidating a witness, and driving with a suspended license. On most charges, he was sentenced to two months. He'd already served following a prior probation violation. For the harassment charges, he was sentenced to one year in jail, and uh, I guess his license was suspended for two years. So there you go. So there you go. That's uh, that's that's really that's his so- current That's his current rap sheet. Go yeah. Back to uh, here we go. Up. Tibbetts was arraigned uh, Monday on charges of possession of crack cocaine, possession with intent to distribute crack cocaine, trespassing, resisting arrest, and violating a municipal ordinance. There's that. Uh, let's see. Do they even give the previous rap sheet? It's a lot. Uh, he went on Instagram. He has an Instagram apparently uh, to post videos about his arrest. Uh, let me see. I can't find. Listen, I don't want to go back. I mean, this is this is a guy who's got some issues. So uh, we don't. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, yeah. and and when, when the thing is, is the entire league knew he had issues. Oh, here you go. He uh, served more than three years in prison in the '90s after pleading guilty to statutory rape. Yes, yes, and there the Flyers traded Bobby Clark traded for him. We got to talk to Bobby. <laughs> I mean, what the hell was he thinking? Well, I uh, I was out there on the boat. Uh, I was having a few beers, 
and I um, I was looking for a therapist, and I saw. <laughs> So I said, let's trade let's, for a therapist. We need one in okay. the locker room. Who, who did the people? <laughs> who was the people's least favorite fly? Gotta love beer. <laughs> Gotta love beer. I should put that clip out. I don't know if I ever actually shared that on social where Craig, video guy Craig took every time Bobby Clark mentioned beer in the interview that we did with him. And it's like a minute 30 of him just like nonstop saying, Oh, you gotta love a beer. Ah, nothing like cracking a good cold. You know when it, it, let's just hold on to that for down the road. Okay. Uh, on Instagram, uh, Flyers fan, Flyers fan awe said Latera. Seahawk 38 said Andrew McDonald. El Carrasso says anybody from Hackstalls, North Dakota. Uh, Mary Force says Vandevelde. Our yeah. former producer Lennox says Ghost. DK Cookie 37 says Steve Downey. JJ Mullen says Chris Vandevelde. Eric Did It says Briz. Dave Bow 53 says Peter Nedved. Oh. On Facebook, Michael Moreno says, uh, Vinny LeCavalier, such high hopes, such disappointment. That's a, that's a good one because all the other ones were, were guys who were scapegoats in yeah. a lot of ways, um, but weren't necessarily slugs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, LeCavalier was just, I mean, Briz, I guess Briz was an issue, but, um, but Briz and LeCavalier kind of fit that same boat where you brought them in to be what they were expected to be for a lot of money and they failed miserably. And if I can go back even further for guys or people of uh, fans of my generation, um, you got to go Chris Gratton in that regard mm -hmm. because it cost you five first round draft picks. Now the flyers got those draft picks back, but because they were tainted, they weren't allowed to use them as assets so they couldn't then use those draft picks, to, you know, trade for another player or whatever. So, um, yeah, Chris Gratton was a was another another one from that generation. On Twitter, Justin Kent says, uh, "Any of the D men Homer brought in, any of the slow D men he brought in when the league was getting faster, O'Donnell, Gil, Cabina, uh, Robert Maturo Jr. at Rob Maz eighty eight says Billy Tibbets." Um, Sean Moore thought that was a damn good answer. Nine um, games. Think about that, Ro uh, Russ. Nine games he played for this team. Insane. Insane. Um, yeah, that's it. I think those were those were the best answers that we got to that yeah. question. Who was um let's see, let's see if I can get you to to cajone up on this one. Who's your least favorite player that you've ever had to cover? I will allow you to not name anybody on the current roster. Or no, there's nobody. Roster. There's nobody on the current roster. Okay. The current, the current group is easy. Um, least favorite player to cover. You know, the, th the thing of it is, is that hockey is so. They're so easy for the most part. I mean, okay, hockey, fine. Let me hockey players. The question again. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you an answer. I'm just trying to think of of who it would be, um, because you know some guys are a little bit more difficult than others. Um, some guys are just significantly better than everybody. Um, least favorite to cover. Who did I not like talking to? <laughs> um, Is there anybody who was a, a total tool and didn't have the game to back it up? Aside from Billy Tibbetts? <laughs> I mean, no. um, who was my least favorite? Uh, you know... I'll go with, and it's it's funny because 
in the moment, I found it entertaining. But in retrospect, it probably wasn't because it was just really bad. I'll go with Roman Czechmonic. Wow. Okay. Be- because Checo never took responsibility for anything. He blamed everyone else. And it wasn't that he was a jerk to us. I mean, he was cold sometimes, but he wasn't like a, a real jerk to the reporters. But he was a guy who a lot of, you know, you look at his statistics and, you know, he was considered for a short period of time to be one of the best goalies in the league. And he was a Vezina finalist and stuff. But but was just a bad teammate. And you knew, we knew it. Like, we just because he would tell us it was never his fault. It was always somebody else's fault. And we would listen to him and be like, oh, there goes Checo going off again. But nobody ever really called him out on it. I mean, that's where we were wrong. Like, we should have sat there and said, well, who is this guy I think he is constantly blaming his his teammates? You know, and yeah, yeah, he backed it up with some numbers but that were gaudy. But it was during an era when, when a lot of goalies had numbers that were like that. And then you, you saw he didn't last much longer in the NHL once he got to the Western Conference where things were a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. They weren't playing, not you know, the Eastern Conference style that New Jersey had kind of uh, brought to the league and, and everybody was copycatting as far as the clutch and grab and hold and limit shots and really kind of a boring game that Monic thrived in. And we got out to the Kings who weren't as good a team either, all of a sudden now he's not as good a goalie. He's got goals against average up, you know, around three or higher. And then he, you know, disappeared after that. So I guess ultimately he couldn't back it up. Uh, Maybe in the moment he was able to, um, but yeah, just a bad teammate and a guy who was just, who never took responsibility for anything. And, and that's, you know, you hate that. Like you, Sometimes if, you, if a player has a bad game or a bad stretch of games and they come out and talk and they say, look, I, I'm, I sucked. I'm terrible. This is my fault. I apologize. You give them props for being stand up about it. So, yeah, you know what? He took his lumps. He took, he took the questions that he had to take and answered them. And you give him credit for that, right? Even if they're not a good player. But to get a player who's constantly deflecting it away from himself and putting it on other people, that's just, that's just bad stuff. So I'll go Roman Monic. Well, uh, I will have to try to work some back channels and get Roman Czechmonic on a uh, future episode of Snow the Gold. You, well, no, Roman Czechmonic can't. Didn't you see the story about him? What? No. Oh, he's like Yuri Laterra. What? <laughs> got, oh, yes. Checo's got some issues. Now, apparently, they've been going on for a lot of years. But it's all some kind of extortion thing. You gotta, you gotta look. I forget what it Wait was. Wait a second. No, it just Hold came on. up like a week ago or two weeks ago. Facing up to ten years in prison. Yes. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Roman, my cousin Roman. But apparently, so this story came out a couple weeks ago, and and some people were surprised by it. I've but got it. You, Here you go. If you read into the, if you read the story. It was it's been something that's been existing for a long time. And it's just, you know, this is the latest story. And it finally it was all about real estate issues. Yeah, it was brought to light over here. Uh, Real estate fraud over three years for more than 15 million check, whatever the I think that's check, right? Yeah, I don't know what the check currency is, Um, but he he entered agreements um, regarding like obtaining property benefits even though he didn't have the money to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, he he apparently had claimed that... It's like a Ponzi scheme, he, basically. He never thought that 
Real no, estate. It was, it was robbing. Yep. So Roman Chekmanov, who Anthony, uh, well, listen, we'll have to get him before he goes into the slammer. I think it's the only thing we can do. It's the only thing that we should do at this point. Right. And since we talked about an all-time great Flyers goalie, now it is time for everybody's new favorite segment of the program. Oh, I forgot. No, the goalie. That's right. Oh, yes. No, the goalie. Everybody's favorite part of the podcast. Anthony, I'm going to hit you with a random fact, a random goalie fact. Okay. We got to see if you can do it. Yeah. Now, I will say that you struggled in the first iteration. I think I got it on the second guess. What I think you might have. I think you might have a better chance at this one. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? I'm hoping that you did a little bit of research ahead of this one. All right. <laughs> research? How am I supposed to know what exactly you're going to ask me? <laughs> Do research. I need you to learn every uh, every goalie stat that's ever existed. <laughs> All right. In NHL history. There is one goalie who was credited with a loss despite not having allowed a single goal. Who is that goalie? So I assume... I can give you a decade, and I can give you a uh, conference. I can narrow it down. Um, but before you, before you narrow it down, I could only assume that I can only assume that it was related to well when you say not did not allow a goal does this does this include shootouts because a it shootout not, goal it had, doesn't it had, it had nothing to do with the shootout it, it happened in regulation okay. so it it happened in regulation mm -hmm. um wow uh holy cow this is going to blow your mind. It, it, all right. Uh, I had I, to really look no for idea. some obscure stuff. All right. It happened in the 2010s with an Eastern Conference okay. team. All right. It was a, um, a backup goalie of one of the best of his playing well, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't go that far. I guess I would. This happened to a backup so, goalie. So it was a backup goalie for a, for a really good goalie. I would say a really good goalie at least at the time, yeah. So a really good goalie at the time. Eastern Conference. Uh, so it's is it it's not Marty? Marty nope. Berdour was not nope. the... I'm trying to think of... I'm not going that, saying that that's the, the, the goalie that got the loss, but is Marty the really good goalie? It wasn't Marty. It was. It had nothing okay. to do with Marty. Nope. So it's not the Devils. All yeah. right. I'm trying to think of good goalies in the Eastern Conference around the turn of the turn of the of the uh, decade. Uh, well, I mean, you can. See. It's a it's a team on the East Coast. It's a team that is in like the south in the South. Oh well, I mean, if good goalie at that time, Cam Ward. So Cam Ward's backup. So Cam Ward's back. So Boosh. Nope. An alliterative name. Well, Brian Boucher would I'll, be alliterative. I'll bring it. I'll bring it to you. Mike Murphy. Who? Mike Murphy. All right. So let me tell you the story of how this happened. I don't know who Mike Murphy. Is. I've never. So heard. 
So everybody knows that the way that uh, a win is credited, maybe people don't know this. I don't know. The way that an NHL goalie is credited with a loss is if he is in the game when the decisive goal is scored. Okay. Now, typically you would think of that as being like the go ahead goal, but it doesn't have to be that way. So let me take you back to 2011. The Carolina Hurricanes are playing against the Calgary Flames. The final score of the game was seven to six. But here's what happened. The Canes were down, they were down 6-3. Murphy came off the bench to relieve Cam Ward at 6-3. After scoring a goal to make it 6-4, Calgary scored an empty net goal to go ahead 7-4. The Canes then came back and scored two more goals, which meant the final score was 7-6. Since the seventh goal ended up being the decisive one, not the fifth or the sixth, Murphy was technically credited the loss, even though he wasn't in the net. It was an empty net goal that was scored. So he got a loss despite not being in net for the game-winning goal. So what the league needs to do there is do what baseball does and make it the official scorer's decision as to who gets the win or who gets the loss, right? Mm -hmm. If a starting pitcher doesn't go five innings um, to earn a win – it, the the official scorer makes the determination on who gets it right so in, in in this instance in this unique situation you have to sit there and say okay the goalie did not allow a goal how can you give him a loss you have to sit there and, and you should tack the loss onto the starter at that point there you go that i thought was like a really hard one and i yeah. just wanted like that was pretty good though right and that's a piece of of uh trivia that i think um not a lot of people are are probably aware of so there you go I don't even remember Mike Murphy. I'm going to, I'm going to look him up. Like, well, I don't just, remember. I don't upsetting. remember his career. Mike, Mike Murphy was a real, he was a real NHL goalie. Anthony, you should be ashamed of yourself <laughs> for not knowing more about Mike Murphy. Okay. Mike Murphy. Uh, here, I'm going to look, I'm going to look him up. Uh, goalie. Where's he at? Here we go. Oh, this is you actually like trying to figure it out in real time. No, I'm looking, I'm looking him well, up. He's right retired. Now. He was born in 1989. So he played. Two games. Two games. In the Two NHL. games, and it was in that season. <laughs> and did not allow did not allow a goal. He has a perfect save percentage. And he was zero and one. Yep, there you go. Two games. Two NHL games. Zero and one. Nine saves. What a guy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we're going to leave you this week. Snow the goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, Players Podcast, Presidential Podcast, Procrastinators Podcast. Here, listen, just the only Flyers podcast. Anthony is on Twitter and Instagram at Ansan Philly. The show is at Snow the Goalie on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as well. If you want to, I don't know, join in the hilarity or the bad dad jokes at Joy on Broad. We will be back, I think, next week. Anthony, I think it's time that we break the bi-weekly thing. I'd like to do a show next week. Well, I'll tell you what. what? We can if there's something to talk about. The league's got to give us something. We will make things up. <laughs> Let's Next week, we will be doing our top five uh, bits of fake information that Tim Panaccio ran with while he was a Flyers beat reporter. For Anthony, I'm Russ. We'll talk to you next week.